Hi, my name is Juan Pablo Segura, and Femtech is all about freedom. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is brought to you by Witham. Witham is a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated Femtech team is proud to partner with the members of the Femtech community. Get to know their team at witham.com backslash femtech. Okay, Fem fans, in today's episode, I interview Juan Pablo Segura, president and co-founder of BabyScripts. BabyScripts is a virtual maternity care software solution that enables physicians to virtually connect with expecting and new moms between visits with a fully customizable, branded, HIPAA-compliant mobile app. Providers are able to educate, empower, and engage with patients with daily content up to one year postpartum. The app offers a robust library of educational content in English and Spanish, weight tracking tools, and customizable assessments and surveys, including remote blood pressure monitoring and monitoring the mental health of the mom. BabyScripts is helping fill the maternal health gap using technology. Learn more at babyscripts.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Juan Pablo, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. I am very happy to have you here. Um, we rescheduled because your puppy had a bad belly ache, and we love pups at Femtech Focus. And so, not a problem to reschedule. And it actually worked out being the first episode of the new year. That's so exciting. Yeah. You know, uh, I have a policy I only do podcast interviews for puppy friendly. Uh, programs. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. But no, I, I appreciate you being so patient with me. <laughs> oh, of course. It's so funny you mentioned that because I have like a little internal compass of like, I don't like to co-found stuff with people who don't like dogs. Like you cannot like dogs for whatever reason, but if you're going to be my co-founder, like dogs are such a big part of my life. Like they need to be in our office. They need to be in our lives. They should be on our phone screens and our zoom virtual backgrounds and all the things. Right. So do you have a barometer like that dog friendly? Uh, I, I, I do internally. Like if someone doesn't want to pet my dog, I'm kind of like, yo, (laughs) little red flag. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, do I really want to work with this person? You know? Uh, but, but you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a way of life once you have an animal. I didn't understand that. Uh, and I definitely got a COVID puppy. So there was some adjusting, but uh, very happy. (laughs) Uh, where are you based? So I I live out of, out of Washington, DC. So right in the city, uh, I mean, with COVID, obviously everyone's really gone remote in our team. We have almost 15 employees now. And so I I think we're spread across like 10 or 11 different states, which is pretty cool. Uh, You know, so COVID definitely has changed things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, let's jump into learning more about you and your background. Our, Our listeners always love hearing the trajectory of people's careers, not 
you know, there's not many of us in kindergarten that said, I want to grow up and be a femtech leader or innovate in women's health or, you know, uh, write a report about vaginas, you know, like this is just usually somehow we always just end up here. Um, and so we love to hear that topsy-turvy story of how you ended up here. So let us tell us, tell us more about yourself. Yeah. Uh, and my story is very nonlinear, um, you know, as uh, a male, obviously starting a pregnancy remote patient monitoring company. It's hard to say that I, I grew up wanting to start a pregnancy company uh, or, I mean, yeah, it'd be harder for me to like want to write a report on vaginas, right? I think that would be even harder for to explain, but, uh, but, but no, I, I mean, we started Baby Scripts, myself and the other co-founder, his name's Anish Sebastian, about seven years ago. And a, a lot of what kind of pushed us or compelled us into this space was the maternal mortality and morbidity crisis. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're somewhere in between Uzbekistan and the Sudan in terms of, you know, how bad our maternal mortality rates are in this country, which, you know, is obviously pathetic and, and needs to change. And myself and Anish, we actually were consultants at a, at a big company called Deloitte. Uh, so we were doing, you know, finance, IT consulting. And, you know, as a millennial, I think maybe some of your millennial listeners would, would kind of empathize. I was very frustrated uh, at working at the man, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, the big company, your cog in the wheel. I, I really hated my life. I mean, Deloitte was a great place to learn how to work, but I just wasn't fulfilled. We need and passion. So, we need purpose. Yeah, yeah. You need yeah. passion. Uh, we, we need purpose. All the, the, you know, some of these things are a little folksy, right? Uh, but it's true. But, uh, but it's, it's really true. Like, I, I wanted to make an impact. And once I found out what was happening in maternal mortality, and actually, I'm one of six kids. My mom had three miscarriages. Wow. So I've always kind of grown up with, with pregnant people, um, uh, you know, around me and as part of my family. And so, I, I basically myself and Anish said, Hey, like we have a great idea. Like, let's get after this. Let's make a difference. And I'm super proud to say that over the years we've saved dozens of women's lives. And so it's, it's really the, the joy of my life to be in this space. It's so amazing. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in like the Northern Virginia area near DC. So I've always kind of gravitated stuck to the, the DMV as they like to say. Yes. And then, um, you know, what kind of, you, you know, we just talked prior to starting recording about like not having human children, we have fur babies, right? And we talked about your dog and the COVID dog. Um, if you're not a father yet, what really sparked your interest? Was it your mom's pregnancies? Like what were there other pregnancies in your life? Or were you just like, I don't even need to know pregnant woman, like, the, if the, if women are dying, it's unacceptable. Yeah, it was a combination of things. So when we started, and, and again, this is always, uh, you know, at the beginning when we started Baby Scripts, it was a little awkward. It's like, what are two bachelors doing starting yeah, a pregnancy yeah. location monitoring company? Um, uh, and, and so initially, it, we were really excited about the healthcare technology space and in digital health in particular. So back in like 2014, which was when we were starting the business, there was this whole kind of genesis of this idea of connected care. So, you know, Affordable Care Act had not only been passed, but all the legal challenges had like started to die out. And it was like, okay, this is happening. Um, thank God. And um, when, when we started the, 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 the company, you know, with that in mind, we were like, okay, everyone's talking about moving care out of the hospital and into the home. 
The only way to do that is through connected care and, and using technology to essentially make sure that patients are okay in between appointments. Um, and then, you know, so we had kind of that interest and then we just, yeah, started to understand what was happening in the space. We, we became very friendly with the chair of obstetrics and gynecology at George Washington University Hospital. And there definitely were the, the personal heartstrings of just my mom and her challenges in, in pregnancy. Um, and, and, you know, again, it, like I shared earlier, it's been the, the joy of my life and, and an honor to be an advocate and, and, and to be an ally to, to women, uh, pregnant women in particular, as they go through their pregnancies. Because like we talked about the, the, the mortality rates, the, the complication rates, they're unacceptable. And this is a societal problem. If, if we're not all in this together, how are we gonna help um, these patients get through their pregnancy better? Well, I have so many questions and then growing in a lot of different angles. So the first question I'll ask you um, before we dive into what is baby scripts in that journey, but just being, um, you know, first, let's say, have you seen a difference in maternal health care from 2014 to today? Yeah, um, there have been some changes, but I, I think things are still pretty much the same. And, and so I can go into some statistics, which I think is important. So um, you know, like I mentioned, we're the worst country when it comes to maternal mortality. So that's moms dying while pregnant, or there's kind of a short time period postpartum that typically counts as that whole yeah. journey. So what happens after the birth? Um, so in terms of developed countries, I heard it was up have, to one year after delivery. Yeah, yeah. Usually, like you know, depending on who's looking at the statistics, like some, like whether it's three months, six weeks, one year. Um, there's kind of just like from beginning of pregnancy to postpartum. I just think that's important because I always had this paradigm in my mind that like the woman was dying in labor and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's like actually like suicide numbers of women from postpartum depression counts as this. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you look at those. Oh, wow. This is, I didn't, I don't know why I have this image in my mind of a woman dying with her legs up. (laughs) like oh no I don't know it's actually usually not even just that it's all the time before and after I mean they're, they're definitely you know a, a major if you look at like the, the perinatal journey so before and after um, obviously like complications before and during birth are the like they're that, that's usually a majority I mean but the very close to that you know you have for like you mentioned suicidal kind of uh, ideation and, and causes you have actually complications like postpartum preeclampsia um, that kill moms. And so, you know, yeah, there's like, we need to think of maternity as, as not just like, hey, when you have a baby bump, but what, what happens after the birth, it's just as crucial a time period. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so interrupt, so, please tell me about that. No, no, no. I, I mean, so the only thing I was going to add is, you know, when you start looking at like where the U.S. is, so, you know, for example, um, like I mentioned, developed countries, the worst outcomes. Um, and you start looking at racial disparities. If you're black and pregnant, you're four times more likely to die than your white counterpart. Um, you, you actually, and this is something that we focus on a lot at Baby Scripts, is, is the infrastructure of care delivery. So the, the way our clinicians practice obstetrics hasn't changed in more than 40 years. So think of all the technology that's that's kind of come out in the last 40 years, all the methods, the changes. Um, we're still seeing you know, pregnant women 14 times during the pregnancy and one time postpartum. And that kind of protocol hasn't changed at all. 
um, and, and how we dedicate resources, how we allocate physician and provider time. So again, major investments in time, energy, and effort hasn't changed in 30 years. Um, and then the, the last thing, oh, sorry. Sorry, I have another question about that part. So yeah, yeah. So if I'm critically thinking about this, if it's the same protocol from 40, 30 years ago, and maternal mortality is getting worse, but yep. the protocol hasn't changed, and what it what's causing them to die more? Is it because maternal age is increasing, and so we need different protocols, or like what am I missing here? Yeah, there's a there's a confluence of factors. Um, I, I think the big challenge. So definitely, there are like underlying risk factors that have changed. Yeah. Right. Um, so OBD, if we start looking at like, chronic well, 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 yeah. So there's clinical issues like advanced maternal age is a great reason for, mm-hmm. for why we're seeing more complications, mm-hmm. but even things like inequality. Um, so you start looking at like, you know, has have patients on Medicaid increased or decreased? They've increased. Oh. And, and so that means that there are more socioeconomic factors, risk factors in, in communities that obviously create challenges. Um, I, so, so, you know, nothing is uni, universal, right? Like there's not one kind of univocal reason for why this is happening. Um, but there, there are things that, that are also contributing to it that we talk a lot about at Baby Scripts. And, and I think a huge factor is access to care. So if you look at the country, 50% of counties in the United States of America don't have a practicing OBGYN. Um, right now, there's about an 8,000 provider, so OBGYN shortage in the country that's only going to get worse. And so even if you want to get care, there's 30-day, 45-day wait times. Some people have to drive five hours to just get access to their OBGYN. And, and those are the kinds of issues that, that I mean... As much as I would love to solve poverty, I, I think that one's going to be a little bit beyond the baby scripts kind of, uh, you know, impact uh, yeah. or 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 just the short term ability to impact those things. Give me enough time, I'll figure it out. Um, but uh, but you know, and I say that tongue in cheek, but like, um, you know, that's the government's role and and also kind of us as citizens and and in community. But where I think technology can really play a huge impact is how can we make sure that moms get the care that they need when they need it. Um, and, and, and I think the paradigm is physical contact always, right? You have to be in front of a provider, need a knee, you've got to be in the office. That, that has to change. And I think we've been a big part of the story of changing that and making care more accessible. Ooh, well, then let's jump into baby scripts. How are you doing that? You know, you're talking about 2014. I'm thinking, all right, I graduated college in 2013. I had my first iPhone, iPhone 4, I think. Um, you know, Bluetooth was like becoming a thing. And so that's kind of the tech you were working with, I presume. Um, and so what what is baby scripts um, today? What do you guys offer? Yeah, uh, so the the program that we offer and what we're focused on is this quite okay so there's a very technical term and i'll explain it in a second so what we do is we create virtual care experiences for pregnant patients Um, and so what that means is we partner with providers so you know usually doctors offices they might be owned by a large health system they might be independent groups Um, and so they buy baby scripts and give it to their patients for free and that's very important um, our program is completely free for a patient. We, we don't believe that patients should pay for better care. Um, and so essentially what we offer and what we enable practices to do 
um, is to essentially virtually connect with their patients in between appointments um, through something called asynchronous remote patient monitoring. Super technical jargon term. What that basically means is your doctor gives you an app experience with all the education and content that you need to, to have a, 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 as safe a pregnancy as possible. Um, and then depending on the risks that you have as a patient, they'll also give you a kit that has an internet connected medical device. So think of a blood pressure cuff that has a Bluetooth chip inside. Um, and with the app, you can pair the app to the device. You can take your measurements at home and we actually will integrate back into the doctor's office. So if any of your values are off, we can alert your doctor within usually 15 minutes that you as the patient have these symptoms, these data points, and you need help immediately. Um, and, and that's how you start saving patients' lives. My gosh, has BabyScript saved lives? Uh, I mean, we have dozens of stories of how you know we detected elevated blood pressures or blood sugars or weight changes. Um, and we've brought that back to the provider team for immediate intervention. And, and yeah, like we've literally saved, we have amazing stories from patients. And that's like, talk about like waking up every morning and, and wanting to go to work, like with a purpose in mind. It's just like so simple. I think it's like one of our best and biggest recruiting tools is like, hey, you want to come here? Like, I don't have to show you like on a whiteboard through 15 different value equations, like why our product matters. It's like simple. Baby scripts, pregnant user, save lives. You know, it's like, it's pretty awesome. Oh, I love that. So what, um, what things are you measuring that can be measured at home that, and what do they signal? So uh, the, our, our biggest data point that we measure is blood pressure. Okay. Um, and, and, and so if you look at, you know, where maternal death comes from and complication about 10 to 15% of maternal death and complication comes from just blood pressure complications. So for one of our, our, our best-selling products is a, uh, both prenatal and postpartum remote patient monitoring experience for blood pressure. Uh, we also have products that help moms manage their diabetes if they have, if they're gestationally diabetic. Um, we have a maternal mental health program. So there isn't like a, a device for that. It's, it's uh, in-app content and screening um, that allows us to notify a patient's provider if a mom's having kind of a mental health crisis um, and, you know, allow for an intervention. And then we do some other work uh, around, for example, um, social determinant screening. Um, we just partnered with a, a company called Nuvo to do non-fetal stress test uh, screening, which is something high-risk moms have to go through in the third trimester. So there are a couple of different products and experiences that we offer the doctor's office to then be able to give to their patient. What is measuring um, blood pressure signal. And now are you talking about high blood pressure is the issue, low blood pressure is the issue? What is, tell us about that part. Actually, it, it, both can be an issue. If blood pressure is too low, sometimes when medication is applied, a patient can become hypotensive, not hypertensive. Um, usually though, uh, a, a patient, the most complications come from being hypertensive. Um, and, and hypertension with other symptoms can actually become something called preeclampsia, which is fatal if not treated. Um, and usually the only way to treat preeclampsia is with a delivery. 
Um, so there are some medications patients can get put on, but you know, a lot of it's just management to see how long you can get a patient before they have to deliver. What is preeclampsia? I, uh, that's where like, you know, the, the, the dot, well, we need to consult an MFM. Um, but uh, essentially your, your, your body is kind of reacting to the pregnancy in a way where that you're, essentially your, your blood pressure and, and a lot of your, you know, your body is almost like attacking itself. Um, and you, 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 if you, if you don't treat preeclampsia, you can get a stroke and, and, and die. So it's, oh, it's that's the result strange. of preeclampsia. That is the result. The result of preeclampsia oh. is, 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 is stroke and, and other issues that obviously can be not just like immediate, but they can also have long-term consequences. Yeah. How often does that happen? Between 10 to 15% of maternal death, um, is tied to preeclampsia mm-hmm. and about I believe it's between six to 8% of pregnancies get preeclampsia every year. Wow. Wow. Okay. And um, are there like risk factors for that? Or is it like a healthy woman could get it? Oh uh, yeah. A- anyone can get it. It's not, I mean, you do see that in certain hypertensive patient populations. So say you're hypertensive pre-pregnancy mm-hmm. and then you get, and then you become pregnancy. Yeah. You're more at risk. Yeah. Um, but you know, there are, we have a product that's for low risk pregnancies, just as much as high risk pregnancies. Um, and we, yeah, we've had multiple cases of preeclampsia that we've obviously alerted the physician about intervened. Yeah. That's, that's so incredible to think a blood pressure cuff at home could save this woman from having a stroke while pregnant. Like that's, yeah, and, but, but I think it's kind of, um, I think it exposes a really important reality in healthcare, I would say, which is you don't need to have, you know, crazy, you know, this is, you know, bad, bad timing for this, but if anyone's following the, the uh, Elizabeth Holmes trial, right. With Theranos, like uh, that's happening right now. Um, You don't need a crazy, like new diagnostic that, that, you know, was just, uh, I don't know, patented by some huge company or even small company to change healthcare. It's actually just doing the little things, whether it's, for example, weight management, in pregnancy. If you gain excessive weight in pregnancy, you're more at risk for diabetes, macrosomia, shoulder dystocia. Um, and, and so, you know, it's little things like weight management, managing blood pressure, blood sugars, um, and a lot of care, a lot of what patients need is just a better escalation of risk uh, so that their provider and their community can, can really come in to, to save the day. now, a quick word from our sponsors. The Reproductive Health Innovation Summit, taking place in Boston on February 15th and 16th, is the destination for uncovering what is next in fertility, contraception, and maternal health. From AI and big data to genetic testing, laboratory automation, consumer wearables, non-hormonal devices, and solutions and new care delivery models. Add to the innovation and attend alongside our leading network of biotechs, startups, femtech, insurers, CROs, investors, medical device companies, researchers, pharmaceuticals, HCPs, and advocacy groups to drive innovation at the convergence of healthcare and technology. Visit www.reproductivehealthinnovationusa.com. That's reproductivehealthinnovationusa.com to learn more. And now back to the interview. 
Yeah. Let's talk about all of this, but in terms of the mental health part of it. So are y'all tracking mental health pre-labor or is it after the baby comes out? Yeah. So, so our mental health product essentially is it starts at the beginning of the pregnancy and goes postpartum. Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea is that when you become pregnant, you kind of have a baseline, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you doing? What kinds of, what kinds of resources do you need today? Um, and then we do a reassessment, usually at the beginning of the third trimester. Um, and then we do a postpartum assessment. Now, certain providers have different protocols. We, we can do a lot of customization to kind of allow for whatever they want to do. Um, but that's the general kind of philosophy of the program, because you can't just assess someone at the end of the pregnancy um, and intervene. You need to know like where they were before and after and what is normal, what is not. Right. So so I think that's really important. What are interventions for postpartum depression? Um, and maybe it doesn't even go into full blown depression, but maybe it's, you know, just postpartum like ugh, hormones, because I can't imagine that you can just throw Prozac at these women because if they're breastfeeding and stuff. So how does, what's the intervention there? Yeah, I, I, I will underscore the fact that there is no kind of like cookie cutter diagnosis. So some of this becomes full-blown postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Some of it is what's colloquially called the baby blues, right? Which actually a huge, like 30% of women experience. So, you know, what happens after, you know, you have a kid, all of a sudden you go from getting a ton of support during the pregnancy to almost no support post-pregnancy. You don't know what you're doing. You don't, you know, maybe your parents aren't you know, or your family isn't in town, right? You don't have any support. So that that's one kind of, of, of kind of set of issues. And then, yeah, you have the, you know, and this is really unfortunate. You have the kinds of scenarios that lead to things like shaken baby syndrome or, um, or, you know, and that obviously impacts the infant, but like suicidal ideation. And that's more like maternal health crisis. Um, and so, so, you know, there, there's a range here. Um, and there's no one size fits all approach. So I, I, I will expose my ignorance every single day on this podcast, because if I have a question, I'm assuming other people have the question you just said shaken baby syndrome. So I guess I kind of thought like that was a joke, like don't shake your baby, but that's like a real thing. Yeah, no, no, no. This is, um, I mean, there's so many things that we just take for granted. Exactly. That's why um, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, for example, safe sleep, like, you know, being able to like, actually, that's a huge cause for infant mortality is, is just, you know, a, a baby not sleeping well or appropriately. Um, but yeah, shaken baby syndrome. I mean, it's, it's tied to mental health crises, right? Um, say baby's been crying for an hour or hours. You didn't sleep the night before. You don't know what to do. I mean, there are instances where moms will literally shake their babies to get them to be quiet. And, and that ends up not only like affecting just their development, but you know, they could break something. They could, they, they could get hurt, right? If you're, oh. if you're shaking, a very fragile child, a newborn. So, so that's definitely, that happens. Yeah. Does it happen with men doing it? Uh, I don't know the, the, the breakdown of like the percentage of where or who, uh, but I I know it's a reality. Wow. I had no idea that that was like 
a legitimate thing. Um, learning every single day, two years into this podcast, still learning stuff. Um, I want to talk about your business model. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen, maybe they're very early stage and they're kind of figuring out what their business model is. I love that y'all actually are charging, I believe the doctor, right? Or are you in charging insurance? Either way, you're not in charging the mom. And yeah, I love so that, that yeah. because moms have enough apps and enough subscriptions. And so when I see yet another concierge fertility app or con- you know, app for this or app for that. I'm like, Oh God, women have so much to do. Yeah, already. Like a baby birch box. Or yeah, whatever. I'm like, Oh God, they have so much to do and on their plate. Yeah. So thank God you're, you're going a B2B model business to business. So tell us more about that. Why did you do that? Who are, who's actually paying and how has that worked out for you? Yeah. If we're going to get even more nuanced, we're a B to B to C because our product ends up getting to the hands of the consumer, right? Or the the yeah. the pregnant user. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think it's important, especially, you know, if there are entrepreneurs out there thinking about how to kind of go to market in, in healthcare, you, you first have to start with understanding how the money flows in whatever area of healthcare you, you want to make an impact in, right? And, and, and I say that because, obstetrical reimbursement is very unique to almost the rest of healthcare. Like for example, most of healthcare is what's called fee for service. So you show up, the provider does something to you, pokes and prods you, right? Um, And they get paid for that specific encounter, AKA fee for service. Um, Then what happens in obstetrics is actually the payment for most OBGYNs is not fee for service. It's actually uh, a a lump sum payment for the entire pregnancy. Oh, um, so so when we and this is usually only on the outpatient side. So when you're getting prenatal care, if you deliver at a hospital, the hospital charges separate fees that are usually fee for service. Um, so you know if you have a complication, NICU, C-section, you'll have to pay more for that, right? Um, but, um, but, but yeah, so, you know, the first thing I encourage is figure out how money flows. Because when we started Baby Scripts, we were very focused on partnering with providers. And, you know, I, I think providers have a really, and when I say provider, provider, for those that might not know, means a doctor, um, a nurse practitioner, a midwife, a nurse. Um, so providers kind of like, a, it could even mean a health system. So, you know, I think people throw around these terms loosely and not really know what they mean. So just FYI on that. Um, but yeah, when, when we partner with providers, um, we were very focused on helping them be more successful. And so we knew that they wanted to use technology, um, especially kind of with COVID, they had to use technology. Um, we knew that everyone in the world was also asking them to pay for things. And so we couldn't just have them pay for something without having a return on investment. Um, And so a lot of what we did when we started Baby Scripts was we would go to providers and say, hey, you have this template, this way you've done your prenatal care for 14, 14 visits for the last 30 years. What if we can automate certain parts of your care through gathering data at home um, through Baby Scripts? Um, and they actually jumped out at the idea because, like I mentioned, they get paid one fee for managing the whole pregnancy. Whether or not that's a 30 minutes in person or if it's just data collecting and a signal that says something's bad. Bingo. So say the patient goes in seven times or 14 times, the doctor gets or 30 times, the doctor gets paid 
what whatever the amount is. Sometimes it's usually like three thousand dollars. Interesting. So so when we talked to these providers, we said, hey, what if we could automate a lot of these routine appointments where you're just capturing blood pressure, weight, having patients answer questions, and they were like scratching. They're like, yeah, actually, that that's pretty cool. Like I I could you know make more money get more data on my patients to make sure they're safe and give them a more convenient experience. And I think what's Maybe important be able to spend time with other patients, right? <laughs> yeah, so they could spend time with higher risk patients. Yeah. Absolutely. And then if you look at it from a patient satisfaction perspective, most patients don't like going in oh, um, no. to, to, to see the doctor. I mean, prenatal care has obviously a very important kind of like connection, like say your ultrasound visit and those things, yeah. which we don't eliminate, like those are things that patients want to go to, but, you know, for the routine appointments where you have to take four hours off of work, you've got to park in the parking lot, you got to wait in the waiting room. It's, it's kind of a bother. And so that we were able to automate these parts of care, make physicians more efficient, give patients a better experience. And that's how we started. Um, what's happened is uh, we've gone from being a optimization tool to now actually doing a lot in Medicaid. Um, and so we've partnered with managed care companies across the country. So these are big Medicaid health insurance companies, um, and they actually will pay for baby scripts on behalf of providers so that providers don't have to pay and they can give baby scripts to their Medicaid patients that obviously need more support. Um, and so that's kind of how we've grown the last three years. We kind of started with more like optimization, and we're now very focused on access to care. I love that. And we do have listeners in 107 countries. Uh, so can you please quickly define what is Medicaid? Oh, yeah. So in the United States, um, the way kind of public health insurance works, um, it, you know, we're, we're not a uh, government uh, run or government offered kind of single payer system here in the United States. Um, obviously, a, a lot of health insurance is run by private industry. But for those patients that can't afford uh, private insurance because they're poor and don't make enough money to, to be able to pay for those products. The government, um, the federal government through the states uh, offer what's called Medicaid, which is a health insurance product that's free for low-income individuals. Um, and so usually what happens in the U.S. is there's 50 states. A lot of those states will contract out their Medicaid to private companies to be more efficient and, and, and to kind of you know, it's it's hard to run a health insurance plan, um, and, and so the the I, the thought is that you know you can contract with a large company that knows what they're doing, and they can decrease costs by doing that. So we we have a lot of partnerships with these private companies that essentially offer Medicaid to in Got specific it. states. Yep. Got it. Actually, you you just walked me through some part of that that I didn't, I didn't even know. So thank you once again. Learning a lot today. Um, well, I wanted to, you know, thank you so much for telling us about the baby script story. This is incredible. I wanted to touch really quickly on you being a male in femtech. So uh, we are very bullish at femtech focus that more men need to be involved. In fact, we believe that the um, the reason that medicine has been men tech for so long um, is because it's been just men and not women, right? And then now, if we're going to create femtech if it's really going to become the new standard of care for all 51% of the population, we need men involved, right? Period. So I'm very bullish. 
you know, our, uh, you know, our fund is not female founder. We love male founders. We, I interview men. What's been your experience though, as a founder in this space, have you felt like people have questioned it? Or do you think because you're doing pregnancy stuff, I find that if males are in fertility or pregnancy, they can kind of get by with less questions about why would they care um, about this problem? So tell us just about your experience. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's become less awkward as baby scripts has become a bigger and more impactful. Yeah, company. when you're well funded and um, revenue coming in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, but but it 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 you know, it's never it's never completely natural. And and I think the way that I've always approached it um, is you know out of out of a sense of humility, like like yes, I'm the founder of this company that I will never, I will never experience the product, right? Because I'll never become pregnant. Um, that being said, I have, I have sisters. I have a mom. Um, I hope to have daughters, uh, and and I obviously have a lot of female friends that have been pregnant or or are pregnant or will be pregnant. Um, and and the thought of any one of them dying because they had a complication that could have been addressed or, or, or treated better, faster, more effectively, I think is unacceptable. And, and, you know, every, think about it, every mom lost that ripples through society. It's not just a, a son or daughter, not having a mom anymore, or a husband or a partner, not having, uh, you know, their, their, their partner, anymore. It's families ruined, it's communities ruined. Um, and, and so, you know, how, how can't we men not get involved when we think about the price of not doing something? Um, and, you know, you could look at it selfishly or unselfishly, like selfishly, I don't want to live in a world where I lose a best friend um, because of preeclampsia, right? Um, but also unselfishly, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith and, and I, I can't think that all of us in this country in particular don't want to do something about the inequities that exist in our system. So, um, you know, I, again, I, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I, I love the fact that you encourage more men to get involved because, I mean, I think I'm a story of that, that like, you know, and, and I think everyone might make a joke or two, like, and I'm, I, I, I have a very thick uh, skin, so like, I, I don't care. Um, but, you know, I, I think everyone appreciates the fact that, that guys like me are trying. And uh, I mean, that's all we can ask for, right, is people yeah. to try. Yeah, there's some interesting uh, dynamics when I see um, an all white male team that's like creating a new birth control for women. There's just something in my brain that's like, you need a vulva on that team, y'all. Like, come on, you know, <laughs> there's like something about it that I just, I can't look past that. I'm like, how you need to have some female input on this part. Um, I think that um, there's been just this long history of men deciding what women need. I feel like you and your co-founder, it was more of a like systemic thing, right? And there's like this software and doctors and stuff, but like, um, Oh, there was something else I was going to mention. Oh, they think that I think the real atrocity is when male founders pitch about their product and the investors in the room say, why would you care about menopause? You're a dude. 
I think that it, that is actually societal, like it's showing our true selves, which is men seeing other men being like, why do you care about women? Like, that's weird. But if a woman was presenting an erectile dysfunction thing, the men in the room would be like, yeah, of course she cares about that. You know, like men's health is very important, but the, the, what I'm trying to do in the world is switch everyone's mindset from men's health is everyone's health is women's health is everyone's health. Right. Yeah, I mean, 50% of the world's population is women, right? And, yeah. uh, and we can't, we can't ignore that. And I agree. I, I think there, unfortunately, because of bias, there's been an underinvestment, an underappreciation of the needs that women have. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's strange for me to say, but like, I, I think the non- female perspective can both really hurt you or really help you. Cause like, for example, we started baby scripts with really like just a very deductive process. We were like, okay, there are some really bad problems in pregnancy. Like let's sit down with a lot of doctors and a lot of patients and let's like ask them like, why? And then they're like, well, you know, we've been doing this for a while. Why? Why, why do you see patients 14 times? And like, well, that's what I learned in school. Why? You know, it, in, in, it yeah. becomes like this like existential, like, you know, toddler-esque why exploration yeah. of the world, yeah. um, which I, I think we had. We, we, weren't, we weren't trying to impose our will, like on what prenatal care needed to be. We're not physicians. We were just like, why is this happening? And, yeah. and it's really cool to see that like seven years later, you're not, it's not just the founders of baby scripts asking these questions, you have like dozens of other founders that are asking the same questions and are coming up with great solutions. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think uh, innocent in, innocence is bliss, right? I, I think, I think there's something to it. Like, and, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I hope anyone and everyone can ask the people we've worked with, like, you know, our team, I think 70% of our team is female. Um, you know, as we look at, like the, the growth of our company, it needs to be female focused and, and, and internally, externally. So I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm always just trying to do good work. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think that you, you really hit the nail on the head with ask, ask women, ask the user, because I think that was the issue with um, that pinky gloves company out of Germany. They were like, women don't want to touch their vaginas. So we're making these gloves so they can change their tampons without having to touch themselves. And it was like, have you talked to any women about this idea before you went on TV? I think that's actually probably the key is the asking the user, is this something you need? If it's a male team, you need to ask women if they actually need or want that. Yeah. Um, well, we are running over because you are so fun to talk to, but we have two last questions my listeners really love. The first one is uh, we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs. So if someone wanted to start a femtech company, what's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Yeah, I think the whole gynecological area, right? So these OBGYNs, I think the gynecological side, the 50% of the other side of what these OB providers do, um, there's not a lot of innovation. Um, there are some companies kind of popping up in menopause, um, which is great. Uh, but again, on the GYN side, um, there needs to be a lot of work there. And then what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Um, I think it needs 
well, that's a trick question because there are a lot of things that it needs. Uh, I think you need investors. I, I'm just speaking personally since we just went through a fundraise. So I have like a lot of investor, both good and bad juju, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you need investors that truly want to find impactful companies in the space. Because the problem is, is most investors have what I call um, kind of a, a TAM restriction. So, you know, for example, and, and I think this, this is directly impacted pregnancy, is they'll look at pregnancy and they'll say, okay, there's only 4 million pregnancies a year in, 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 in the United States, but there are 35 million hypertensives or diabetics. Um, and, and what happens is that the sheer size of the numbers almost like reorient a conversation um, instead of really looking at value and, and, and value isn't just at your total addressable market, um, which I, I think it's very strong and compelling in obstetrics, but like, you know, I, I think what happens is like most investors have become very formulaic in how they invest. And, and I would say that there's a lot of bias in the formula itself that needs to be approached. Um, and, and so, you know, I would say, you know, almost these investors have to go back to the drawing board and say, like, what do I want to impact versus, you know, how do I just make the most money? And I know there's a tension there because obviously these are professional investors that have to make a return. Um, but I, I think they're missing out on a huge part of the market just because, you know, they're using kind of old models and old approaches that haven't really been kind of challenged in, in a holistic way. Yeah. That's so interesting. It reminds me of a, a story. I found a startup years ago and she specialized in roller derby female like attire clothing. And people told her all the time, that is so niche. It's beyond niche. Why would you do that? And she's like, because there's literally nobody else doing it. And like, if I can specialize in this, I'll capture all of it. And she did. And she's wildly successful where people were telling her, why don't you just go general athletic, athletic wear, right? And so that's kind of what I'm hearing here where people get lost in the like, let's make products for everyone who plays a sport ever, you know, versus, hey, there's a subsection that has like no resources. Like we need to really support that. I know roller derby athletic wear is not in comparison to saving women's lives, but that just kind of, it was always a story I heard that I was like, oh yeah, that kind of. Well, to your point, what you're describing is like go to market strategy, right? Like Mm -hmm. Because, you know, yes, there's definitely a, an issue with trying to boil an ocean, which is what yeah, that whole like, yeah. you know, go after everyone, every, everything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there's definitely a, a benefit of being like very focused. But but I, I, I think it's more than just like being good at targeting your your potential kind of customer and consumer um, with a very like specific set of value propositions. I think it's a whole change in mindset as to how investments actually um, are, are, are like how, how both investors and companies come together to produce value. Because like I said, the formula I think is, is antiquated. Yep. Well, Juan Pablo, this has been so much fun. You were doing such good work. You were leading the charge and it is, it's awesome to watch. So thanks so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really had a great time.
Thank you for listening to my interview with Mary Fenske, the founder and CEO of Posture Wings. To learn more about this bra and the history of these undergarments, visit posturewings.com. Already Femme fans, be sure to give the show a five-star review, share it with a friend, join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org, and join the thousands of other femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health. While in the virtual community, sign up to be a FemPro member for only $10 a month and get access to the FemTech Institute, a library of FemTech and startup lessons that are sure to help you advance your startup and teach you more about the FemTech industry. Keep an eye out for our monthly FemTech book club that happens the last Wednesday of every month and subscribe to our newsletter. Last but not least, please consider setting up a monthly recurring donation to FemTech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Mm-hmm.